And, you know, uh, if I may, part of why I started my podcast, part of the theme behind it, as a musician, uh, and this is kind of a long story. I'll try to make it really short. Uh, I was buying an amp off a guy and uh, in a mall parking lot. He was off of Craigslist, actually, and I went to meet him in a mall parking lot to, to buy this amplifier and got there early and noticed right away when he pulled up he was very wealthy. He had a lot, a lot of money to buy the vehicle he, he was driving and buy the clothes he was wearing. And we got to talking, and he asked me what I did, and I said, I play in a band. And he said, oh, you're living the dream. And I laughed. I laughed in his face, not to be rude, but because he caught me by surprise. I said, I'm not a rock star. I'm not rich and famous. I'm a, a working stiff musician, you know, and I've done it all my life. And he stopped me. He said, listen, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm 69 years old. I made a lot of money in the commodities exchange. Very wealthy. I'm selling you my amp. I always wanted to be in a band. The fact that I'm selling you my amp means I'm never going to be in a band. You're living my dream. And so I started to think about that. And many, so many people, and we, uh, we kind of talked about this earlier uh, before we were on, is that you know, so many people go through life wanting to live a life, whether it's podcasting, no matter what it is, full-time job. You want to live your full-time job, but whatever keeps you in fear to go uh, – work your desk job and sit in a cubicle, uh, you're afraid to live the life that you really feel is your purpose, that's going to be hell because you're going to get to the end of your life. And when people are at the end of their lives, they don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do that they always wanted to do. And that's, that's an important thing for people to uh, kind of consider and and take is take to heart that this is not a dress rehearsal you only live once if you want to be a full-time podcast if you want to be a full-time musician you want to be a full-time artist actor whatever it is give your life to it because that's your purpose if you truly believe that that is what you were put on this earth to do and we were all on put on this earth to do something uh significant with our lives not just punch a clock for 80 years get you know go to school graduate school get married have kids sell, buy a house and then uh punch out and my life is over and what did i what's my legacy nothing you know live live like like you have a passion and a purpose and and follow that and don't be afraid to be the person you think you were born to be that's my message <laughs> that's my soapbox message for today <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to fantastic and intriguing people who will help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, share it with your friends. If you hate the podcast, share it with everyone you hate and make sure they have a bad day. <laughs> uh, to, in today's episode... We have a wonderful guest. His name is Matt Napo. Is that right? Napo. Yes. Napo. That's right. And he yes. is uh, he is a man who runs the Mind Dog TV podcast, which is all about sort of unfiltered, straight talking, honest talks, and it, which will inspire you and educate you. And without further ado. Let's 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 have a ch chat to this wonderful man. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, it's not morning for you. It's morning for me. So I, I guess I'm saying good afternoon. How are you? <laughs> uh, I, 
I'm not too bad. I'm 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 doing okay so far. It could be so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing a coat uh, indoors. Is it cold where you are? It's pretty cold. Like the heat is gone. So like I, I it's a bit freezing at the moment. So I, I you know, I want to be warm. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I hear you. <laughs> where, where are you, where are you, where are you resonating? Where are you staying? Is it in a cold place? I, I live in New York. I'm in New York, uh, Long Island, New York, which is, um, uh, it's, it, you know, an island off the off of New York City. But I'm about seventy five miles from New York City in a very rural part of the world called Shoreham, New York, um, and North Shore, out in the middle of like. There's, uh, I'm out in the ocean, but the <laughs> the uh, Long Island Sound is the, the water that is right by my house here, and so uh, I'm right across from Rhode Island in Connecticut, and um, it it gets cold here. It's yeah. been cold, but today today we're expected to have almost a, a spring like day, like 60 degrees. Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, I feel a bit guilty because I know that New York and Chicago during these sort of times, it is the ice age out there. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it could be, but it's not. It's been, it's been okay. <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, so far. And knock on wood for good luck. I've seen it, like, in the UK, we complain about a bit of snow, a bit being cold, but, like, I saw, you know, some of my friends live in New York, and I see pictures of them, and the snow is about this high, and, like, they're having to trod through everywhere. Well, um, you know what? Um, that's what kind of got me to believe in climate change. We used to have a complete, like, every year we'd have a lot of snow. We'd had, uh, when I was a young boy, we had, there were times when we had three or four foot, six foot of snow, you know, maximum. Uh, last year, we didn't get an inch of snow. And in the last five years, I think it's been much less than, you know, we're lucky if we get two snowstorms a season, which is, uh, I mean, usually back when I was growing up, you would have from December through early March, you'd have snow every other day or, you know, at least twice a week. Not so much anymore. So, uh, things are definitely changing, and it's pretty, pretty obvious to see if you if you hang around, if you live long enough, and and see the changes. It's pretty obvious that the climate is changing now. You know, the big debate is whether mankind and all our fossil fuels are responsible for that, and how much we're responsible for that. I don't know any about that stuff, but I can tell you, climate definitely is changing. Oh yeah, oh, without that, it's. And so, growing up as a young boy and like your your childhood experiences, what what do you think has led you to becoming sort of like a like a full time podcaster now? Like, what's made you into the podcast you are today? Well, I've had the most interesting life of anybody who who's on the planet. <laughs> I started out at seven years old playing a, a banjo. In a uh, in an old time banjo uh, society, and uh, so um, that was I started in entertainment at seven years old, which is in a, in a really silly way like that playing banjo. But I've been in bands for for a long time. Uh, growing, you know, my formative years, um, I 
you know, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff because it's, I'm trying to give you the short story here. Played ba- uh, in bands up until about 28 years old. At 28 years old, for some reason, I found myself like not not making a lot of money uh, from from the music I was doing. Uh, sick and tired of burnt out of being on tour all the time and on the road. So I took a radio position. Uh, uh, and I did a radio show on an oldies radio station, a talk show called Mind Dog the Magnificent, where I would talk to people um, from all walks of life about everything from, and usually weird stuff like ghosts and UFOs, Bigfoot, psychics, all that kind of, uh, you know, juicy kind of silly stuff. And I would, I was very much a skeptic, a cynic at the time, and I would try to debunk them as much as I can, and you know, was pretty nasty at at times. Anyway, uh, long story short, at one point, I got, um, I got drunk at a friend's wedding, and I, I had a show to do, and I showed up for my show drunk, and I couldn't put a phone call through. <laughs> the engineer couldn't put a phone call through I wanted to take, and I had a celebrity on the line, and I was getting mad, and I kept saying, you can't put a friggin' phone call through, and friggin' turned into the, a real F-bomb, and I was on AM radio, and uh, basically the FCC here does not appreciate you uh, coming out with F-bombs on the radio, and I got kicked off the uh, radio and pretty much blacklisted. So I uh, went back into playing music and being, you know, a full-time musician for many years. And also, uh, as I got older, I started to take some corporate work. I was in marketing, and uh, at some point I just was fed up with the marketing stuff. About three or four years ago, I just said, you know what, uh, I'm at the point in my life where uh, I'm not I'm not happy doing this. So um, I, I kind of said to myself, you know, what is it that you really want to do? I, I love radio. And I could never get back into radio locally because I was blacklisted as the guy who said F-bombs on the radio. Uh, so I decided I was going to start my own podcast. I'm going to do it and, and basically just went there at it full force. Oh, and like, how, how, how did it become, like, what were the struggles and how did it become sort of your full-time income and job as it is now? I actually had... Uh, to be honest with you, I had no struggles whatsoever. I was extremely oh. lucky. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, I, within four months, I was making uh, enough to survive on. And uh, in the first year, uh, you know, I didn't make a lot of money in my first year. I, I think I made $60,000 in my first year. But, uh, you know, now, uh, it, you know, sponsors come to me. I, I work hard. I work very hard. I do two or three shows a day, uh, and uh, hour-long shows, and um, have a, bi- a big audience of, you know, I've been lucky to kind of uh, just fall into a, a niche to, uh, of, and not, I'm nicheless, but I have a niche of ha- being nicheless, if that makes any sense. <laughs> kind of like, um, I will interview... I, I interview people from all walks of life. Again, similar to the other stuff, I do entertainment. I do uh, comedians, musicians, uh, filmmakers, uh, celebrities, and that kind of stuff, and then authors. And then I have a business edition during the day where I, uh, CEOs, marketing people, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, people with interesting business stuff. And the business stuff makes a lot of money because it has a, a natural... Um, built-in audience that wants to uh, find out 
important information or helpful information on growing their business, and sponsors love that stuff because they know they have a built-in crowd. So business-oriented sponsors, people who have B2B-type products want to sponsor that heavily, and I have no shortage of, of sponsors that want to be on the program. I just can't find even enough time for all of them at this point. Ooh, and that's... I mean, it's, it's yeah. not a better position. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky. Yeah. I know most a lot of podcasters struggle, uh, and you know what? Um, a lot of them start out by doing once a week, and and, uh, and a lot of them get impatient with waiting for money to come in and, and bail on it. I think the key, the key is, number one, patience. You have to understand that it's going to take some time. For me, it took four months to monetize. For some people, it can take four years to monetize, and, or even even longer. So that's that's a real important key. Um, and the other part is, you know, consistency and and hard work. Uh, a lot of people take it as approach it as a part time job while they're working another job. And if you approach it as a part time job, it's going to be a part time job for a long time. You have to approach. Yeah, after. It's almost like a leap of faith. You have to jump into it and say, if this is what I'm going to do, I got to go. And I got to go into it 100%. And you also have to have the financial uh, ability to say, uh, I'm going to take a hit for a while. I'm not going to make some money for a couple of months. So I have to have a bankroll to sit on while I'm building this up as a business and, you know, and have a plan like that. So if anybody is looking to do that, I would say start saving your money now so that you have four or five months to live on and go into it full-time, but go into it, take a leap of faith and say, this is going to be my full-time job. I'm going to get up every morning early, work on it hard all day long until I make it a success, not just uh, say, I'm going to do one once a week and see how it goes in my off hours and see if I can build an audience. That's, that's going to be a long, long, frustrating haul. You do it every day. Did you? How, how, every day. So usually seven days a week now. <laughs> Whoa! How do you manage to do that? That's like what about the editing and all these other? Uh, well, I how do I manage doing that? From what perspective? I have I don't have anything else to do except I do still play music. I I go out. Uh, I have music gigs, uh, but not as much because of COVID. COVID has actually uh, facilitated a lot more interest. It, you know, my numbers went up significantly when people were locked down, and we're headed for another lockdown, so I'm expecting another boost like that. But as far as finding guests, I don't have uh, any shortage of guests. Uh, I have a backlog of guests. I'm booked up several months in advance, and I, I like I said, today I have three shows, uh, three one-hour shows, all all music acts, uh, I do one at 1 p.m., I do one at 7 p.m. Eastern, and then one at 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I have authors, I have you know pu publicists who approach me with authors. I have a list of authors that are booked up until like mid-January, February. I have uh, filmmakers, I have um, a lot of musician acts, um, uh, comedians, yeah, uh, you name it. So the publishers come to me with the guests. I don't have to do that work anymore at all. Uh, uh -huh. It's a it's a matter of just uh, sometimes it's a matter of keep it up with the the a number of requests that come in. I've had a few horror stories, a few really bad guests that I <laughs> didn't work uh -huh. out, and I ended up not publishing this stuff. But uh 
that's 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 the way it goes. That's an interesting point because I've I've had a couple of uh, podcast guests where they've be, it's been a bit of a trope struggle. So if one of them, they they wouldn't really produce that much. Like you you'd have to push things out of them, like to try and engage it and talk to them. Oh, and like you have to do all the work. Uh, yeah, I. I had one kid, uh, and I use StreamYard, so it basically, uh, it's like Zoom, but, uh, and I have a video feed. I have one kid who has a podcast called Monster Legends Podcast. His name is Tanner Davidson. I don't mind calling him out on this. And he he approached me about being on my podcast, and I thought, oh, sure, Monster Legends. People would lo- love that kind of stuff, to hear about monsters and and all these kind of stories and stuff. And uh, at the minute I welcomed him in, I do it live, and he was a little late, so I didn't get a chance to talk to him beforehand. And the minute I welcomed him in, I saw him in the in the <laughs> in the screen next to me, and he was eating dinner. His, he was at the microphone, but his family was eating dinner behind him. It's all <laughs> he was a kid, and he he's sitting there, and he didn't have a word to say, not 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 a single word to say for an, an hour. So I would ask him questions like, oh, "What kind? You know, give me an example of." Uh, uh, a monster uh, guest that you've had on, he said, I don't know. Uh, that went on for an hour. So I was like, oh, my God. So I told, I said to him, listen, Tanner, I, if you're as <laughs> talkative on your own podcast as, as you are on mine, you're not going to make it. you got to have something to say. You wanted to be on this program, uh, and basically uh, you, got, you come here with nothing to say, and I'm basically – Filling up an hour. Nobody, nobody's tuning in just to hear me ramble for an hour yeah. about anything. That's and what, what about how do you deal with someone that talks too much as well? Like they don't get to the point, and they you have to sort of. I I don't them. I don't mind that I don't mind that one at all. I let them I let them talk, uh, and huh. you know what? I almost consider that you know, and, and I, I will give them feedback after the program and saying you know because generally those people. Uh, have a an agenda, and they feel like it's a presentation. And a lot of the people who talk too much generally come from a world where they're a keynote speaker, and they go up with a, a presentation, and they want to get their, through their their talking points. And I explain to them after this program's over that uh, it's not gonna they're, they're not gonna see a big boost in their own uh, presence from this podcast because. People will tune out. Podcasting is not that. It's supposed to be a conversation, a back and forth, and no scripted questions, no scripted presentation. It's just you being honest, and and if you're an expert, you can relax and re- and have that conversation. If you're not confident in what you're presenting, then you're going to be nervous and want to go back to the script. Podcasting should never be scripted, in my view. It's just not what the medium is about. With your sort of production value, what advice would you recommend to a podcaster now? Like, if, like, how many times should they produce a week to make it a full-time thing? I would do one a day uh, if I and I. I actually have a. I just started another podcast, which is a daily thing, which, but it's only five minutes long, and uh, so I. Basically, from a production standpoint, I would do. I would be consistent. It, that's the number one thing. Uh, you know, I would do one a day if I was just starting out. But if that's too much, I would try to do shoot for three a week. Uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever. But the key is, whatever you do, be consistent. Now, I just started a new one called "You, you Can't Make This Up," which is just a five-minute daily dose of strange, odd news. Uh, you know, stuff you can't. 
you, you can't believe that it's actually a, a true story. And, it, you know, it's just quick, stupid stuff like, you know, uh, people who who won the lottery by accident or, or uh, you know, people who who's lost a dog eight years ago and, and, and found them across the country, <laughs> things like that. You know, just silly stories that, you, wow, it just seems really too too far-fetched to, to believe, but it's in the news, and that only takes five minutes a day. Uh, try to make it a little bit humorous, a little bit like a just silly, a morning fix of uh, here's your silly, stupid news. <laughs> you, you can't make this up. And do you, But you don't really, you, do you treat podcasting more just a live performance and like, I mean, if you did try and edit it, as some podcasts do where they spend hours and hours of editing, you definitely wouldn't be able to do it every day. That's true. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty fast editor and I do occasionally edit some stuff, but to your point, yes, it's difficult, but, uh, you know what I look at, I kind of modeled my, my podcast, not completely, but in some ways or, or after Joe Rogan. Now, Rogan is one of the, by far one of the most, uh, you know, successful podcasters out there, one of the well, most well-known. He doesn't do any editing. It's just a live, uh, uh, continuous broadcast. So I did a, a uh, Joe Rogan success formula video, which I talked about this. Most people think scripting is important, editing is important, all that stuff. The audience wants to be a, a fly on the wall a lot of times. They want real. They want honesty. They don't want uh, polished perfection in podcasting, and that's not what it's about. It's about honesty, uh, reality, and, uh, you know, giving it to me raw. And Rogan has, you know, he's getting $30 million a year for doing that. <laughs> uh, I mean $100 million a year for doing that. <laughs> $100 million a year. It's a funny thing, though. Hasn't he sort of been censored now because of because of that? Like with Spotify, they've deleted some of his most controversial mm. episodes. Uh, well, yeah, but he's still on YouTube and all that. And I don't think I think uh, Spotify went back. And yeah, yes, censorship is always. But they didn't do it because he's not editing. They did it because he's had some really, really controversial guests like Alex Jones on, and those are the people he, he uh, those are the reasons why they censored him. But censorship is a concern, but it really doesn't have anything to do with editing or not. It has to do with uh, the content that you're putting on. And, the, you know, Alex Jones is, I don't know how familiar you are with him, but Alex Jones is a guy who told, uh, parents whose kids were massacred at a school shooting that the kids weren't massacred they were they were all uh, crisis actors and the, and the news faked the whole thing and, and you know these are parents who just lost kids who just got shot in school totally traumatic experience so I lost my child at school and this guy's going on the news saying you know it's all fake you can't believe it the news makes this stuff up uh, adding to heartache so you could see why Spotify would say you know what we don't want that guy on our platform I wouldn't have him on my show no what's so who who have been like guests that you that have been amazing that, that have you like oh I've learned so much they're incredible people and who have been, so you mentioned already, like, that the game Legends one, but who else have been on the other side of the spectrum? 
uh, well, well, I could give you some more on, uh, some more on that uh, really bad guess because Tanner, the Legends uh, monster, Legends guy, was not the worst. Uh, he was one of three in a row. But the, some of the best guests, <laughs> uh, Howard Bloom, who is a philosopher, he's been he's been. Uh, Howard Bloom was a PR guy for all class and during the classic rock era for all of the biggest acts, uh, music acts in the late seventies, eighties, and, and nineties. He was part, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, on and on. I mean, you can Bruce Springsteen, you know, the biggest names in rock and roll history. He was a PR agent for them, and then he retired from that and went into doing his true love, which was writing about physics and philosophy. And he's thought of now at, on the same level as like Einstein and Stephen Hawking, as far as uh, his knowledge of the world. He has a his own theory of everything, uh, like mo much like Einstein and Hawking about how the origins of the universe and the true nature of the universe. That guy was uh, just mind blowing as far as the, the amount of information he has, uh, and and was willing to talk about. And he's one of those guys where I would just ask a question and sit back and let him talk for 15 minutes because it was, and I and it went on for two hours. I that was a, you know I didn't stop at an hour. I just because he just gave me such great information. Um, who else? Doug Stanhope, a comedian. Uh, oh. who, who was when I first, uh, yeah, when I first started, I thought. Uh, if anybody would have asked me who's the one guest I really wanted, you know, my dream guest, it would have been Doug Stanhope. And I had him, I've had him on twice and, uh, really, really good, uh, great, funny stuff and insightful stuff. We talked about his book, his audio book that came out, which was, uh, a, a really heartfelt look at some of the tragedies that he personally experienced in 2016 and how it changed his life. Really good stuff. Um, Steve Byrne, another comedian that was on, uh, he, he was, he was really good. Uh, Eric Roberts, the actor, uh, was, re was really good. That was, you know, there were a lot of really good guests, but I think Howard Bloom would be my number one. Yeah. That's, I mean, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, what's it called? Doug Stanhope and how, whew. I'll look him up this Howard yeah. Bloom. He looks like so I'm gonna have a look. And like Doug Stanhope. Yeah, he there's a funny story I'm gonna tell you about that. And maybe you could ask him next time you were in. But he went over to the UK okay. and he did a podcast with a UK comedian called Steve McCann. And um this is a funny story. Steve McCann, he was drugged up and like filled with coke and like high and filled with alcohol. Him and his friends, like Doug Stanhope was in some sort of hotel room and because he did an interview with Steve McCann, he knew where he was. So him and his mate got all drunk, started shouting everywhere and just said, Doug Stanhope, could you give me a review for my Edinburgh show? And what Doug Stanhope did was well, he, he was in another room, but they were knocking on the other door. And well, let's just say it was quite a interesting experience hearing it from uh doug stanhope and his podcast <laughs> hey. <laughs> well i i'll definitely bring that up to him i do talk to him once in a while uh, i you know I, I email him back and forth and keep a uh keep an open line of communication with the guy because uh i you know a lot of people i know want him uh on their show a lot of people i know who do co comedy podcasts want him on their show 
And, you know, they asked me, you know, when are you going to have him back? I, he doesn't. I mean, we've already, you know, had our conversation maybe a year or so down the road if he's still around. <laughs> he lived the kind of life where, you know, you can't can't play, uh, plan too far in the future for a guy like that because yeah. he lives a high-risk life. <laughs> but he's bloody amazing. And, like, I mean, he's he's done – the best thing in the world like he's got his own audience he does his own thing and he doesn't have to sort of pussyfoot to anyone really that's true yeah and he's got you know what i i did a video on him too it's called the cult of stanhope and basically he's uh an atheist who doesn't believe in religion at all but he is in his own uh way a religion for a lot of people he he has a cult following called the killer termites and he has uh, and to his credit, loyal, loyal friends and support and people who work for him who all mo- move their lives completely to this little town in Arizona, uh, which is a, a significant thing. He lives in Bisbee, Arizona, which is remote and, and in the middle of nowhere in, in Arizona. And people who work for him and his friends have moved their lives. They, they've moved to the city to be his support system you don't find that in in show business in anywhere where uh people will come and pick up their entire lives in i'm talking about several people not just one or two close friends but uh probably a support system i would say about 20 people who picked up their lives and moved to Bisbee, arizona to be with him support him in his podcast support him and going on the road so he's got a unique situation here and he does have a cult following. There's no doubt about it. There are people who uh, follow everything he does religiously. <laughs> so for a guy who hates religion, he has become a religion. <laughs> <laughs> and we, 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 have a similar, um, we have a similar thing in the UK. We've got a comedian called Daniel Kitson, who's built his own cult following, where he doesn't even have to ad- advertise his Edinburgh show or any show he's doing. Like He doesn't have to go on social media or anything. He just puts in his website or whatever. Right. I have a show. Boom! Like he's, he's got. He's not on social media at all. And we also have Jerry Sadowitz, who's a bit like right. Doug Stanhope. And it's yeah, yeah. I'm I'm familiar with uh, the comedy in the UK. You guys got. Uh, you know, I love uh, British comedy uh, a lot. I mean, it, it's a it's a different sensibility than mostly here in the US. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I definitely appreciate some of the best comics in the world come from, from the UK. Uh, and I, I actually have made quite a few friends in Wales now, uh, who are comedians and young comedians who are, uh, and I never knew any Welsh comedians ever before. I've never even heard of one before, but now I'm making some acquaintances over there. So it's, it's kind of, uh, funny to me to, to see how the podcast has kind of expanded my world of of uh, comedic uh, c- connections, comedy connections. Mm. I, that's that's a funny. Th- yeah, po- it's funny with podcasting how it can just change things. It's like it's just, and especially now online, like you don't have to travel all the way to chat to each other. Like me and you, we're just doing it here, and right. I can't tell you how many guests I've had on from the UK, a lot of them, and uh, Australia as well, which, you know what, for an old guy like me, 
where uh, this is funny. In in 1980 or 1979, I had a friend in Australia, and I talked to him once on the telephone. I think for 20 minutes, and the bill came back, and it was like a thousand dollars to talk on the phone for 20 minutes. Now I can talk to somebody in Australia face to face for an hour and a half, and not get charged a dime <laughs> so it, it that's how much the world has changed it's like you know what and i can do it on a on a device i carry in my pocket and we can talk face to face for an, an hour and a half at no charge it's it, it's mind-boggling how how that has changed that's i mean that's probably one of the good things about zoom in a way like i mean the pandemic obviously has been a disaster but the thing is zooms come about it's allowed comedians to connect with each other from across the globe and like you know you don't have right. to go travel to go to gigs now you can and you can work with people across the globe whilst it's ease of access i should say to connect with each other well that's very true zoom was always around uh before the pandemic what i've seen from since the pandemic started is a lot of competition for Zoom. You have StreamYard, you have BeLive, you have Restream, a lot of new companies coming online, do, online doing the same type of thing. And I think that's a good thing. So people, I, somebody said to me at one point uh, uh, not too long ago, you know, huge companies like Amazon and Walmart were the only ones that really benefited from COVID at all, the only ones who saw an upside, and I went right to no, the people in the online uh, streaming and um, communications apps have seen a, a huge windfall because of this stuff. The only thing is, uh, what, it's good for stuff like this, you and I having a conversation, but I don't like it for, you know, music concerts, I think, or especially for comedy. I've seen people do comedy, stand-up comedy from their living rooms without an audience, and it just it feels flat, you know. They tell a joke where, you, and they expect to hear laughter there. There's no laughter; it's just silence. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's, it's like dead air for a second as they kind of wait to get their timing. And it just it doesn't come off the same. It's just it feels stale. And the same with music in a lot of ways. I had um, Scott Page who played with Pink Floyd on. And he, he's a saxophone player from Pink Floyd. And he's developing a technology where you have a like a curved video wall in front of the stage. And people can be in different areas, boxes of that um, um, video wall, audience members. So you can hear applause and feedback and all that kind of stuff as you're doing a live performance. I think that for a performer, that would be the closest thing to doing a real live show and might be a little more interesting if you can pull that off. You know, actually yeah, hear the applause at the end of a song or hear the laughter at the end of a joke. It might be a little more entertaining. <laughs> the thing with it, with comedy, is that a lot of comedians are just writing-based a lot of the times. So they don't always consider the performance aspect of it. And another thing that I want to ask as well, right. were, was it one of those ones where the comedian didn't see the audience or did they see them? Like, tell us a bit more about the show. No, they didn't. Yeah, well, the ones I've seen, they don't see the audience. So they're, they're, uh, and they're trying to imagine the audience in their head. So uh, basically doing, and one, one of the ones I saw, the guy's wife was in, in, you know, trying to give him, trying to be the audience for him 
the live audience to give him some sense of timing for it. But she was trying a little too hard and rushing him through, like, you know, tell the jokes faster. Uh, and so that can be a tough one. But uh, for the most part, all the ones I've seen, they don't, they don't really see the audience. And part of the thing, and you're probably experiencing this a little bit right now, if it's too far away, uh, there's a, a bit of a lag. So by the time I get to the end of the joke, it could take a few extra seconds for you to get it. Uh, or or hear it, and then I don't see you laugh right away, and I get a little nervous. That's the way, you know. Yeah. Part of the. I think it's also a time for comedians to experiment and change things a little bit, because you can't right. get away with just telling jokes on Zoom and expecting to be like a regular stage. You've got to do something around it. Maybe do a magic trick, right. or maybe do something visual, or something a bit off color. Like I've I've got a hecklers show online that I used to right. run, where comedians used to basically bully each other and that like they'll say oh, oh yeah. Marvin you're wearing glasses you look like the nerd married Bruce Lee and then I'll come up with like a kind of, oh shut up look <laughs> at you look at that nose did you bought a Pinocchio and that that would work quite well because it, it's it's like there's a lot of two yeah. in the phone it's interesting whilst if you're just standing there doing a joke oh I walked in a park oh it was a surprise you know, there's not much viewing there because yeah. they can't see you and there's not enough to it. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are people doing what they call online roast now. And and that would be with a, uh, a Zoom or, you know, meeting of 10 comedians or more in those little boxes. And they'll kind of take – and I, those can be entertaining, I think. In, in some way and what Stanhope is doing now he's doing a happy hour uh on uh i think every other friday now does a happy hour for his patron and he could have like 500 people in a zoom uh meeting and give them all and it'll last four hours or so and give them all like a minute or two time and, and basically what are you drinking and you know uh he'll get drunk while people come on who are drinking and and have a, like a happy hour type of uh experience with them so and that seems entertaining but i don't know about three or four hours for me i but 10 minutes is enough <laughs> I, I, yeah i find that fascinating about him if i if i start drinking before a comedy gig i'll fall asleep on stage or something I've I've fallen asleep on tube journeys or well, like train journeys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that. I think that might have been the first question I asked him the first time I talked to him. Is uh, I've never seen you uh, drunk, but I always see you drinking. How the hell do you stay? Well, not slurring your words and and keep it together because a normal human being would be dropped down drunk. He and he said, "No, nah, you don't. You got to drink with me." And I I pace myself. I go really slow, and people think you know I've been drinking. So when I come on on stage, I'm I have my first drink. That's the first drink I'm having, and I drink it. And you'll notice I milk it all the way through the show. So he doesn't get drunk on stage, which is. Uh, Part of part of the lore, though, you would think he would be drunk. Sometimes he'll have two, but uh, he said, you know, people people assume that I've drank more than I I do because they always see me with 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 a drink, but they they don't experience. Because if you drink with me, you'll find out uh, that you know I'm not really drinking that much. The other part, he says, people show up to the shows already drunk, and and then they get so sloshed they can't enjoy the show, they become hecklers and end up getting thrown out. <laughs> 
um, you, you know, it's a skill. It's a skill. <laughs> so leads me to two sort of interesting questions here. So you talk about a lot of like raw points and you're quite forthright in your podcast and it's clear that you have a bigger work ethic than a lot of podcasts out there. But what else do you think has led you to a position that many podcasters envy? Um, you know what? That's, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I really think I got lucky in a lot of ways. Visibility helps. The fact that, uh, you know, I was in a successful band and still am in a su successful band that has a uh, built-in social media following of 80,000 people on our uh, mailing list and on our fa Facebook page and Twitter and all that. 80,000 people is a pretty big audience to start with. Uh, so that helps. Visibility helps. So the more visible you are, the more people who know your name, the longer you've been around and have established yourself, the more of an audience will tune in. I think the big problem or big uh, mistake that a lot of podcasters make is they depend on their friends and family to help grow their podcast. And friends and family, you know, your friends, are, they'll may, they might, may watch the first episode, but they're not going to become loyal listeners. They know you. They don't need to be to learn about you online. They don't need to hear you talk to strangers online. They can talk to you in person. So you really need to have some kind of visibility and build your audience from uh, not your friends and family, from, I hate to use the word strangers, but strangers, people who don't know you are going to be your loyal audience people who because in any entertainment field it's about image and so if you portray an image of being a guy who is a, a good interviewer your friends and family can't see you as that they just know they just know me as matt but people who are loyal uh, watchers of the show or listeners to my podcast they think wow you are a great interviewer and so my friends and family would never come away with that impression of me because they know me personally for way too long they don't see me as an interviewer they just see me as Matt <laughs> <laughs> it's um, and also when you say that I feel like when you're trying to portray a certain image you know how like Bill Burr says that the the worst way to try and attract a woman is pretend to be a male feminist and they always like, um, right, I'm yeah. always hearing it time and time again, like the guy that says, you got to do this for a woman, you got to do that. And I hear some woman complaining about, oh, this guy's supposed to be this, supposed to be that. Like, when you're trying to project a certain image, like, there's no such thing as Jon Snow yeah. out there. Like, if you try and portray yourself as that, they're often the opposite. What? The, the key to that is definitely authenticity. You, you can't uh, portray an image of something that you're not truly uh, bringing. You know, you have to be authentic in it. The, uh, the issue there is that image is not the ones the people who, uh, who live with you and know you intimately are going to have. I'm not saying be, be phony in any way. I'm saying don't be phony. Be yourself. But your friends and family are not going to have that perception of you. They're going to have the 
perception of you as this is my friend from forever and this is the guy I hang out with and have a drink with or have a smoke with or whatever and uh or, you know I'm happy to go to dinner with they don't see you through that lens of an audience's perspective of this is the guy that that has great conversations with really interesting people on a podcast they that's not their perception of you but you definitely have to be authentic you have to be real and what's so like there's a lot of online articles and like what's mark Wahlberg and his workout regime and like the rock he gets up at 4 a.m like if if someone wants to be in your position like people see podcasting a lot of things as glamorous and they see the reward and they see the image that the person who's successful is made up but like for someone on the outside of what you have done like could you give us a guide through your day and how much work it's taken or does take every day for you to be where you are oh my yeah oh my god people think i work three hours a day um i get up at seven o'clock in the morning and start preparing for a show uh preparation can be uh, anything from reviewing the bio and and uh past history of a guest to reviewing their work if i'm not uh, really familiar with their work. That means I got to uh, cram either videos, read their book. And so I do a lot of reading because I've had over 100, probably 140 authors now. That's 140 books. I've had to at least read a good portion of their book to be able to uh, ask uh, informed and, and intelligent questions about. If somebody's made a film, I got to at least uh, get a good feel of what the film is about. Most most of the times, I try to watch the entire film. If a musician is on, I got to listen to their work and, and be able to really kind of... Uh, not just listen to it once through, but get a good feel of who they are as an artist and what their motivation is and inspiration and all that stuff. So I'm not asking the typical, well, who were your inspir uh, inspirations growing up and who, who motivated you to become a rock star or whatever? Uh, those are questions that they've been asked a billion times and they don't want to be asked that. So you have to be able to ask deeper questions. You have to do your research. So my day usually starts with research. I have a 1 o'clock show, but I'm up at 7 a.m. Uh, starting with the research, preparing for that show. Uh, and the minute that show is over, I have to uh, go into it, be, uh, take it off of uh, the live stream that we do, take the audio out, uh, do a bit of editing for that you know, for format purposes, uh, which takes me about 20 minutes or so. Then uh, publish it to my podcast. And by the time I get done with that, it's probably about 3 p.m. Then I have to start getting ready for my evening show, which is 8 p.m., and doing the research on that guest. So, And then after that guest is over, and now it's, uh, it's 9 p.m. when that show ends or later. And then I have to edit that pot for the podcast and publish that. So by the time that's done, it's nine. Uh, it's it's closer to 11 p.m. now. And then I look at my guest schedule for the next day and see who's coming up, so I get an idea of it. And then I look who's who's needs information about uh, who's the guest for next week that needs the information about how to connect because I'm doing it seven days in advance, sending out that information. So by the time I'm done, it's midnight or later. And then I can actually look at the business end and do, <laughs> I have to contact my sponsors and tell them uh, numbers for the week or, uh, you know, uh, finish a contract with a new sponsor. Or, so I generally work until about, from 7 a.m. to about 2, 2 a.m. <laughs> with about five hours of sleep. Mm. There it is, guys. Every day.
there it is back home guys this isn't no walk in a park or like going fishing this is proper stuff yeah no uh and i don't have you i'm at the point where i don't have to keep doing two shows a day but the guests are overwhelming and i am you know i'm like an easy date uh i i hate to say no <laughs> so if somebody asks me uh, i get so many requests for guests and i say well here's my calendar it's kind of booked up uh i'm trying to take off weekends but don't, don't please don't pick a weekend date and as soon as they look at my calendar the only thing they see is open are weekend dates and they request a weekend date and i say oh, okay <laughs> so i give up my weekends then. so uh, i don't have to do that i'm at the point where I can really do one show a day, five days a week, and still earn a living from it. But uh, like I said, I'm an easy date. I, I, I find it hard to say no if somebody wants to be on. They really have an important message, and it's a timely message. Then I, I gotta, I gotta help them out and get them on. I got one this morning. A guy from the UK who had, he wants to talk about what's going on with the Princess Diana stuff and the uh, Martin Bashiri. Um, um, controversy that's going on around the story about Princess Diana, and that's kind of a a current event topic that he wants to talk about now. Even though I'm booked up to January, I'm like, well, I'll see if I can fit you in an extra day. Uh, let me see where I have a time th this week. So I'm going to try to fit him in this week, which I know it will actually you know tax me because I have to do the research and all that stuff on on the episode and fit it in between a full schedule already so but i again i can't say no i'm i'm a podcast maniac pod addict. <laughs> yeah pod addict <laughs> no people have their meth but you have your pod <laughs> yeah 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 it's my drug i guess i'm, I'm addicted to podcasting Oh, by the way, uh, some of the other uh, really interesting guests I had on, I had a guy on porn addiction the other night. <laughs> that was, you know, how to uh, beat your porn porn addiction. <laughs> beat your porn addiction. Uh, play on words there. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I had a guy who was billed as a comedian. This is this is a uh, interesting story. He was billed as a comedian. And, again, as soon as I welcomed him in, into the room, he was late getting there. Oh, he, he was actually early getting there, but I was uh, late because I uh, didn't have time to talk to him before the show. So I did my intro, talked about my advertisers, and pulled and said, welcome him into the room. And, and uh, I said, are you in your car? He said, yeah, actually, it's home right now. That's my wife back there. He's homeless, living in his car, doing the show. And uh, <laughs> this is unusual. How do you do comedy working, uh, living in your car? I mean, how he said, I'm not doing comedy anymore. I'm a sex worker now. Uh, and so he's selling, you know, masturbation videos of himself in his car with his wife sitting next to him <laughs> online. Uh, excuse me. And uh, I was like, you know, and he's 60 years old. 60 years old, scruffy old man. He's got diabetes really bad, so he's got one eye. I was like, who the hell is paying you for sex videos, man? Is it like creepy old dudes? He said, no, you'd be surprised. A lot of young girls have daddy issues. <laughs> like, this, and so I, that, uh, I had to do an hour interview with him, and it, it was really, really strange. And <laughs> But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that um, the audience will eat up and so and get big rating, pull in big numbers because it's just so odd that people can't believe I'm really seeing this guy living in his car. And his wife, 
who was living in the car with him was the one who suggested he get into sex work and selling selling his masturbation videos <laughs> in a car in a Target parking lot because he, he's uh, stealing their Wi-Fi to be online on his phone. That's, you know, an, an interesting guess. <laughs> oh, that is amazing, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I mean... <laughs> You don't have to do much there, do you, for it to be entertaining? <laughs> no, well, uh, no, and you just really talk to him about his life. And then, but as soon as the show was over, I contacted the person who booked him. I said, what is this? You send me a, some guy, who's creepy old dude who's like masturbating in the car. He said his publicist said he was a, a working comedian. I said, publicist? He's a homeless guy. How could he have a publicist? He's, a, he's living in his car in a Target mall, a parking lot. Uh, it just it makes no sense to me at all how he could have a publicist living in his car. So I, signed, I actually signed him up for a, a set up a GoFundMe page to try to get them an apartment. But uh, I, w I was really concerned about, you know, the whole selling sex thing online because he said he was doing it to young girls. I was like, you know, you're not doing it to minors, are you? It's just, like, too weird. <laughs> he said, no. But I, I, how, do you, how do you guarantee that? How do you protect against, you know, you know doing something illegal then if you're just selling your masturbation videos to strangers online? Now, you can't do an age check on them, not a real one anyway. Really weird stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. I could go on with I could go on with crazy guest stories. I mean, I have a million of them, uh, like well, things that people just blew my minds with. Um, you know, you know the movie Howard the Duck. Yes, Howard the Duck or Chucky. Chucky the little doll, the horror movie with Chucky uh, the doll. Uh, the guy who played both of those, Howard the Duck and Chucky, uh, his name is Ed Gale. He's a dwarf. He's a Hollywood. He's the go one of the go-to dwarfs. If they need a dwarf in a movie, uh, they will use him. And he's the guy who, because he fit in the Howard the Duck suit. Um, but he was on my program, and I thought we were going to talk about his experience in film and movies. But all he wanted to do was uh, talk about his um, attitudes towards society in general. And he's a big-time racist, dropping N-bombs all over the place and uh, anti-Semitic tropes and just, like, uh, just being as nasty and mean and ugly as possible. And <laughs> you would think, and then he said, uh, he's a gay, he's a gay dwarf Republican and, and he hates black people and he hates uh, Jews, but he's married to a dark-skinned Filipino man. <laughs> I was like, man, you, you're so confused. First of all, you would think a gay dwarf would be a little more liberal and a little more tolerant <laughs> because you have special you know, a, a special uh, minority all to yourself, but he wasn't. And so that was just like a bizarre uh, conversation. And I, I ended up not publishing the podcast because it, it was just like I, I you know racism is one of the things that really uh i i can't support in any way but it was just a very weird live stream and we had hundreds and probably a thousand or more people watching that night and i was just like embarrassed for him embarrassed for anybody listening but you know i've had my share of very strange guests so <laughs> <laughs> Nothing surprises you. <laughs> yeah. No, once you get past the gay, gay dwarf Republicans, uh, I think you're, you're not going to get any stranger than that. 
God. <laughs> Unless you do stand-up comedy. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, that's true. I have done stand-up in, in the past. I don't do it anymore, but uh, when I was young, I dabbled in stand-up, dabbled in magic, uh, stage hypnosis, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Oh. You, you could say your your podcast audience are hypnotized. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and you know what? What I really learned uh, about hypnosis, and this that's a whole other controversy, is that it, hypnosis is, is really a magic trick without props. And, and that's the best way I can explain it. You know, what we think of as, as hypnosis is not, it's not really what, what it is. It's not like you're, being, you're giving up control of your mind or anything. It's playing along with a, a guided imagery so uh, you know you know you you follow a magician uh and you give up you suspend your disbelief and that's what hypnosis is all about so it's a magic trick without props my dogs are going to start barking now <laughs> i'm sorry man <laughs> yeah. well yeah. um one thing i want to say is how what is so you clearly you've had experiences and it's been it's you've had quite a journey with podcasting what what has been what's what's a quote that you'd like to live your rest of your life by um think for yourself think for yourself uh what what i see in a lot of people and this is across the board is that we become intellectually lazy and what i mean by that is uh, people like to have opinions, right? Everybody wants to have an opinion and feel like they, in, they are informed and can uh, present a, a, a image again of people of someone who is well informed. But what you'll see is people who are quoting headlines or talking points they got off of television or the radio, somebody else's words, and passing them off as his or as his or hers. And you'll see this on social media a lot. Where people say, "This is," you'll see a post like that says, "This is what I believe totally," and it's a long rant. And at the bottom it said, "If you agree, copy and paste. I did this. I copied and pasted. You should do do it too." And I'm like, "Well, that's not what you believe because you copied and pasted. That's somebody else's belief." The the key to having your own beliefs is using your own words, filtering it through your own mind. And once you put put it into your own words. You filter it through your own values and principles and have a good chance to see if what you're saying really matches. We see too many people just parroting somebody else's words, passing them off as their own, and passing them off as their own thought. It's not your own thought. You're passing somebody else's thought because you were too lazy to have a thought for yourself. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And they're most, more often the most aggressive to force you to do the same. Right, yeah. And, it, you know, I, I, it really bothers me to see the world in that place. And that's what Howard Bloom shared with me, too, because I asked him about, you know, being one of the smartest men in the world, how you feel about, um, you know, the dumbing down of society, the, the place where we're at where anti-intellectualism is a, a, a thing. And, he, you know, he, he agreed with me totally about this idea of, you know, people have become lazy. They don't want to think for themselves. They want everything spoon-fed for them, to them, and then they want to be able to uh, not feel like somebody who's 
uninformed, so they so they have to open their mouth and uh, offer an opinion that's not really their opinion, and they offer it as it as if it were their opinion, and so that's that's an unhealthy thing because you know you really have to take time to to uh, be your be your own person, know your own thoughts, know your own mind. If you don't know that, then you're just, you know, punching a clock through life. And, you know, uh, if I may, part of why I started my podcast, part of the theme behind it, as a musician, uh, and this is kind of a long story, I'll try to make it really short. Uh, I was buying an amp off a guy. And uh, in a mall parking lot, he was off of Craigslist, actually. And I went to meet him in a mall parking lot to to buy his amplifier and got there early and noticed right away when he pulled up, he was very wealthy, had a lot a lot of money to buy the vehicle he, he was driving and buy the clothes he was wearing. And we got to talking. He asked me what I did. And I said, I play in a band. And he said, oh, you're living the dream. And I laughed. I laughed in his face, not to be rude, but because he caught me by surprise. I said, I'm not a rock star. I'm not rich and famous. I'm a, a working stiff musician, you know, and I've done it all my life. And he stopped me. He said, listen, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm 69 years old. I made a lot of money in the commodities exchange. Very wealthy. Selling you my amp. I always wanted to be in a band. The fact that I'm selling you my amp means I'm never going to be in a band. You're living my dream. And so I started to think about that. And many, so many people, and we, uh, we kind of talked about this earlier uh, before we were on, is that you know so many people go through life wanting to live a life, whether it's podcasting, no matter what it is, full-time job. You want to live your full-time job, but whatever keeps you in fear to go uh work your desk job and sit in a cubicle, uh, you're afraid to live the life that you really feel is your purpose, that's going to be hell because you're going to get to the end of your life. And when people are at the end of their lives, they don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do that they always wanted to do. And that's that's an important thing for people to uh, kind of consider and, and take as take to heart that this is not a dress rehearsal. You only live once. If you want to be a full-time podcast, if you want to be a full-time musician, you want to be a full-time artist, actor, whatever it is, give your life to it because that's your purpose. If you truly believe that that is what you were put on this earth to do and we were all on put on this earth to do something uh, significant with our lives, not just punch a clock for 80 years, Get you know, go to school, graduate school, get married, have kids, sell, buy a house, and then uh, punch out and my life is over. And what did I, what's my legacy nothing you know live live like like you have a passion and a purpose and and follow that and don't be afraid to be the person you think you were born to be that's my message <laughs> that's my soapbox message for today <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome that is brilliant man that's that is that is that should be given in every school sort of careers day I'm willing. Sign me up. I'll come over to the UK and give it to to uh, kids in the school there. I, you know what? I, I uh, that's what the podcast is all about, though. Trying to reach as many. And my demographic is young people. My strongest demographic is eighteen to twenty-five. So I feel like I'm adding something uh, of value. And if I could say anything to want to be podcasters, that's that's the key. Make sure that you're adding value to society. Do it because what you you know most people just want to have a silly laugh and all that kind of stuff and I'm fine with humor and laughter and things should be light but at the end of the day you're only going to uh receive 
back a portion of what you give to the world. In other words, add value to the world. If you want to make a living from it, make sure that you're adding enough value that people want to reward you for it. And that's, that's the key to doing, being successful at anything. Add value to the world. Add value to your listeners. Make their lives, give them something that makes their lives a little better, a little more, um, whether it's informed, a little more, uh, you know, whether it's, if it's music, adding that experience of uplifting joy to their life. Uh, it's all about, you know, adding value. That's the, that's the most important thing. It's one more thing for for people that want to find out about you and like what you do and like how how you are what are your sort of social media handles uh uh well, mind dog tv i'm on facebook my my facebook page is mind dog tv you can go to my website which is minddogtv.com um on youtube at youtube.com slash mind dog uh at Twitter, for some reason, I'm on the Rockin' 45s. Well, I know what the reason is. My Mind Dog TV uh, account got suspended for life. Uh, so I'm using my old band's uh, Twitter account right now. On Instagram, I'm Mind Dog One. Uh, but go to my website, all the links, uh, minddogtv.com. All the links to all my social media are at the bottom of the homepage. Uh, and you can find every everything there and uh, basically see the live stream every day on, on my homepage, which is minddogtv.com, and the podcast uh, is there. And also, if anybody is interested in being a guest, there's a, a guest intake form right there, so uh, they can contact me that way. All right. That's been heard it there, guys. If you want to contact Matt, there's where you go. <laughs> Uh, you've been absolutely awesome. I, right. I appreciate the time you spent here. And yeah, best of luck with everything, my friend. So that's been Andrew White. I hope he's taught you a lot about what it takes to go from a young teenager playing Minecraft. I don't know if he did, but I hope it's, it's informed you of what, it, what needs to be done. If you want to get signed that's been Andrew White I mean it's quite remarkable that he's he started comedy at 15 he got signed when he was effectively 18 just a young pup just goes to show whatever it is out there go out there and make things happen and at the end of the day I also want to say this if you like the podcast please give it a review on iTunes if you hate it share it with your enemies and I'll see you at the next episode. <laughs> well, that has been the tantalizing Zane Weber. Yes, he is related to um, Zane Malik from One Direction. He was lying there. <laughs> no, he's, he's absolutely awesome. I hope he's given you a lot of insightful tips for producing a good podcast and for it to grow and i'll see you in the next episode and also don't forget please give us a review on itunes share it with your friends
And that's been Matt. I hope you've enjoyed him. I hope you found him insightful as I have. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.